Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. If the resurrection is true, then it changes everything. It doesn't just change our eternity. It ought to change our right here and right now. I've got great news. God sent His Son to earth to die on a cross for our sins. He did that, but death couldn't hold Him, and He rose from the dead three days later. That, in a nutshell, is the gospel, the good news that the church is built on. But how do you answer a skeptic, specifically someone that doesn't believe in the resurrection from the dead? Because no matter in all of the stuff that you all go through, some horrific storms, some minor annoyances, some somewhere in between all of that, in raising kids or paying bills or finding jobs or all that stuff, the Apostle Paul said there is a resurrection from the dead. And that changes everything. Hello and welcome to another edition of Crosswalk. We've been making our way through 1 Corinthians 15 for a few weeks now in our series, Crossroads, where your faith intersects your culture. Because of cultural reasons, some people in the church in Corinth were questioning the reality of the resurrection from the dead. The Apostle Paul logically walks us through the reasons to believe in the resurrection and the consequences if the resurrection isn't true. Corinthians, y'all are, y'all are doubting this, and I'm saying to you, if, if this isn't true, why am I giving my life for all this? Why, why, why do any of this stuff? Hey, Corinthians, hey, Cross Culture Church, here's why. Because it's true. It really happened. And it changes everything. Today, Pastor Clay is taking us deeper into Paul's defense of this most important truth that gives us not only assurance of what happened in the past, but hope for what is going to happen in the future. Now here's Pastor Clay. series called Crossroads, where your faith intersects your culture. We've been making our way through 1 Corinthians. It's been almost a year that we've been in 1 Corinthians. I think next week will be one year that we've been in 1 Corinthians, and we're getting close to winding it up. But as we've made our way through there, we've seen all the subject matter come up again and again and again. And now in chapter 15, uh, we've been walking through these, these Evidences for, you might say, and these arguments for the validity of the resurrection. You guys know this, uh, and I'll probably say it in one form or fashion again today, but everything hinges on the resurrection. And so Paul's building this case, and because, and I explained a couple weeks ago, but because of some of the influences of Greek philosophical thought in the Greek culture, the Greeks were having a hard time understanding why there would be a bodily resurrection. Not that they didn't believe that it was possible... They just couldn't understand why. Why would, why would your spirit that has now been set free in death, why would it possibly want to be joined back to a physical body since they saw that as a limitation? And so he's walking through. Some of that had begun to, to, to uh, infiltrate the church and begun to have its influence in the church. And so Paul says, no, well, we got to deal with this. This is a big one. We, we, we got to deal with this one. So what I want to do is, and I don't think this one has to be up on the screen, but I want to read uh, the first, go ahead and just start from verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15. I'm just going to read to you the first, uh, I think, 25, 26 verses, and then we'll get into the the new idea that I want to propose today. Y'all all all right with that? Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Y'all are so gracious and patient with me. You have no idea. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have a copy of God's Word, open it there. It might be on your phone, wherever it would be. And, um, and let's read. Now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel 
which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, and by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of them whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But, and listen, all of us could relate to this. But, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, the other apostles, so we preach and so you believe. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. Because we have testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Here's the implication. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, who have passed away, who have died, who have fallen asleep in Christ, they have perished. If we have hoped for Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep... For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, and after that those who are Christ at his coming. And then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he, abolished, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. The, the Godhead, I explained that last week. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be in all. That's where we stopped last week. And if you look on your your 
printout, your information sheet on that back side, those sermon notes, you'll see all of those uh, various P's there, all those various aspects of Paul's defense of the resurrection and why the resurrection is true and why the resurrection is so important. We walked through all those over the last uh, two uh, previous weeks. Here's the new one we're picking up on uh, today. It is this. If I got it, if it, is it up here so y'all can see it on the screen? Okay. It's the protest to the gospel. The protest to the gospel. Let me uh, pick it up in verse 29. Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? Remember, this is now in, all the way up to 20, uh, 28. He's, he's built this thing and he said all this. Now he says, otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? Why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. <laughs> that's, uh, I'll get to it next week, but that was a bit of a shocker. I, I can guarantee you that was a bit of a shocker when the Corinthians got to that part of the letter. And heard from the lips of the Apostle Paul. Let's just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. We'll get to that next week. But let's, let's begin with this phrase. Let's deal with this phrase, baptized for the dead. Is that alright? Baptized. Because I'll just be honest with you. That, that's really not the kind of phrase you can just skip over. Do you think? I mean, I don't think. Maybe, maybe it's easier to do that, so you don't have to deal with it. But, but I just don't. When that's thrown in there, I just don't think that's the kind of phrase you can just skip over. Otherwise, let me. Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? Let me start by kind of sharing this idea. We need to be very careful with our interpretation of a passage like this, or in this case, a phrase like this. You have to be careful with a phrase uh, like this. Because this is the only reference to baptism for the dead in the New Testament or in the entire Bible, for that matter. It, do, it doesn't show up anywhere else in all of Scripture, and it's just, and it's just boom, it's just there. And so, that, that's a clue to us that, wow, you better be careful in interpreting this. Better be careful in coming to your understanding of whatever, whatever he means or baptism for the dead. We better be careful because this is the only place in Scripture where it, under, where, where, where it is mentioned. Here's an interpretive rule to always keep in mind. Not just for this passage, but for all passages. Here's an interpretive rule to keep in mind. Always interpret the obscure from or with the non-obscure. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, Always interpret uh, a, a rare or a scarce uh, passage with one that is not rare, not obscure. Always uh, look at the obscure through the lenses, through the lens of what is not obscure. Let me explain to you how that would apply 
to this passage or to this phrase. The plain reading of the passage, especially in English, sounds as if people should get baptized for dead people. Right? I mean, that's the plain reading. I I baptize dead people. It's an old movie reference, never mind. The, the plain reading would be, uh, oh, okay, people are getting baptized for, for dead people. That is the plain, that's, that's what, if you read it, just re- read it in English, that's what it sounds like. That is, by the way, how the Mormons interpret it. Uh, that's why the Mormons have the largest or one of the largest genealogical records in the world. Did y'all know that? I think it's the largest genealogical record in the world. And, and Mormons, many Mormons get baptized dozens of times for uh, dead loved ones. Or sometimes generations back. People they didn't even know, but that they were related to. Uh, many Mormons get baptized dozens of times. Because that's, that's literally how they interpret it. To get baptized for the dead. But... Well, let me say this. Is it possible that the Corinthians were doing that? Is it possible that the Corinthians were getting baptized for people who had passed away, people who had died? It is. Given the Corinthians' propensity to run towards theological error, it's possible that that they were actually doing that. But... I don't think they were. And here's why I don't think they were being baptized for dead people. Because of this interpretive rule of interpreting the obscure from, from the, uh, the obscure from the unobscure. And the understanding that I, I cannot see how the Apostle Paul would use an error, a theological error, if that's what they were doing. And I'll explain in a second why I believe it's an error. I cannot believe that Paul would use an error as an example of a truth that he's trying to convey. And the truth he's trying to convey is the resurrection is true. The resurrection really happened. So it seems hard for me to to get my mind around the idea that Paul would actually use a theological error to promote a truth that that he's bringing. And we know that this idea of baptizing people for the dead violates at least two non-obscure doctrinal truths. Okay? The first one is this. Baptism for the dead implies or is saying that baptism in some way carries a salvific uh, benefit to anybody who's dead or alive. That that somehow baptism uh, carries some type of benefit. Salvation or something uh, to the person being baptized. And listen to me, the New Testament could not be clearer that baptism has nothing to do with your salvation. You know, it always, I, I'll be honest with you, sometimes, sometimes I just have to kind of walk with people through it, explain it to them, but sometimes when I talk to people about a relationship with Christ and, you know, and, and I, I, if I get around to saying, you know, have you ever come to know Christ? You say, a lot of times I'll get from people, well, well, I was baptized when I was 11 years old. Okay, that's not what I was asking. <laughs> but okay, let's, let's work with that and see where you're going. 
But the New Testament could not be clear that baptism has nothing to do with your salvation. I'll just give you one passage of scripture, Acts chapter 10. Um, and, and let, me, let me preface it for you and then you, and Tyler will bring it up on the screen. But in, in Acts chapter 10, Peter, who is a Jew, has gone to Cornelius' house. Cornelius is a non-Jew. He's a Gentile. Some other Jewish uh, believers, some other Jews who had come to faith in Jesus, go with Peter to Cornelius' house. Now, if you know anything about the history of the early church, the Jews weren't exactly sure how the Gentiles fit into this whole Jesus thing. Right? Because Jesus was a Jew. They were Jews. He came. He died in Jerusalem. You know, it, 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 Christianity, in a sense, came out of Judaism. And so they, they weren't sure how the whole Gentile thing fit into it because there was bad blood. had been bad blood for hundreds of years between Jews and, and non-Jews. So they weren't sure how the Gentiles even fit into this whole thing. But when it becomes obvious there in Acts chapter 10, when it becomes obvious that, that God has worked in Cornelius' life and the life of the uh, other uh, Gentiles who are there, Peter makes uh, this statement in uh, Acts chapter 10 and verse uh, 47. And I can't see it, so y'all read it to me. Some, y'all read it out loud. Y'all read it? Go ahead. Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? You understand what Peter's saying? Clearly, he says, surely no one can deny the water for those to be baptized, future tense, who have received the Holy Spirit, past tense, so clearly these Gentiles have already been saved, demonstrated through the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now, Peter says, now they, they can be baptized. They've been saved. Now they can be baptized. So baptism has nothing to do with salvation. Baptism is never intended to have anything to do with baptism. Baptism is a picture of the, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and a picture of a person, you or me or any of us that have come to Christ and been baptized, a picture of us moving from spiritual death to spiritual life, to coming to new life as a result of what Christ did on the cross. Baptism was never intended to be salvific. So, all that to say that it would make no sense to be baptized for dead people because the obvious teaching of the New Testament is that sal baptism has nothing to do with your salvation. So why would you get baptized for people when it can't do them any good? You understand? Amen. That's the first problem with, uh, with understanding this literally as getting baptized for dead people. The second problem, the unobscure teaching, is the... The clear scriptural indication that after death, there is no other opportunity. There is no other chance. Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verse 27. Y'all read it to me. Literally, after this, judgment. After death, folks, that's it. It's, it's not like the lottery where they have second chance drawings. You understand what I'm saying to you? That's right. There is no indication in Scripture that after a person passes from this life into death, there is no indication that there is ever some second chance in heaven that, oh, well, now, the, the, now they, you know, they realize the error of their ways. I'll bet they do. And, and, I, and I, don't, I don't say that, you know, that I'm, I mean, that grieves my heart to, to say that about anybody, but I'll bet they do. I, I've... 
Many times I've thought a split second after a person breathes their last breath, their heart beats their last beat, a person who has rejected and denied Christ their whole life, a split second after that moment, they're going to say, uh-oh. I mean, generally, and there's no indication in Scripture that there's some second chance after the grave. That's right. And by the way, uh, Jesus... Uh, teaching on the rich man and Lazarus in, I think, Luke chapter 16 would, would verify that, that account. Amen. That there's no second chance. Which, by the way, is why Paul uh, advocates in a second letter to the church in Corinth, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, he says this. What does he say? Read it. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of you understand what he's saying? This is it, guys. This is it. This is the life. This is the chance to, to come to Christ, to live for Christ. It's in this life. And, and so, so this, is, this is where you do it. So, that's the second major doctrinal, non-obscure truth that, that the idea of being baptized with the dead would, would violate. There's, there's no opportunity for a second chance. So... What does it mean then? Right? Okay. If, you, if you're building a pretty good case for the fact that it, it can't mean baptism for the dead. It probably doesn't mean literal baptism for the dead. So what does it mean? I confess to you that I've tried to do a lot of research on this. And there are a lot of different ideas about the whole interpretation of the idea. But I agree uh, with Paige Patterson, who's one of my heroes in the faith, who says that the key to understanding this passage there are two keys, actually, to understanding this passage for a proper interpretation of, of this passage. And, and you and I have to come to, uh, to get a hold of that. The first is understanding that, uh, that the phrase, uh, will those do, what will those do? It's remembering, and it, and it translates properly in the future tense. It's remembering, first off, the first key, remembering that that is a future active verb. Okay, what will those do? It's a future active verb, which means that that whatever Paul, all Paul is talking about, he's talking about a baptism in the future. The second key is understanding that in Greek the preposition is huper, which is translated here as for. What will those do who are baptized for the dead? It's understanding that the preposition huper can also uh, carry the idea of in regards to or concerning or, or that sort of thing. Not just for or in replace of or something like that. You understand what I'm saying? So uh, it's, a lot, it's a lot to say. It's a lot in here. But I believe what Paul is arguing is that, hey, why are you baptizing people why, when people come into a relationship with Christ, why would you baptize them? Listen to me. They're dead right now. Just like you and I were. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And being dead in trespasses and sins. And you were dead. You, I, was dead in trespasses and sins. So, they're dead right now. But in the future, when they come to Christ, and people will come to Christ, and people will come to Christ for 2,000 years. In the future, when they come to Christ, why would you baptize them? Since baptism pictures moving from death to life. Both literally and spiritually. Literally, it pictures Jesus' physical death and His physical resurrection from the grave. 
Spiritually, it represents our being dead in our sins and coming to new life in Christ. So why would you baptize people? I think Paul's protest is, why bother baptizing somebody, these new believers, since baptism represents the resurrection, since you all have decided that there is no resurrection? Why would you bother? Now listen to me. He's not trying to get them to stop baptizing new believers. He's trying to get them to stop and think about why new believers are baptized. And it is to picture the certain hope of the resurrection from the grave. I think that's Paul's protest. He's saying, why in the future are you going to baptize people who are dead now, but who will come to life in Christ? Why would you baptize them? Baptize them since baptism represents resurrection. And since Christ didn't rise from the dead, uh, the argument that we just read a moment ago, we handled the last couple weeks, since he didn't rise from the dead, you're still in your sins. There's no hope. Those who have died or, or perished, all, all that stuff that he says, why then would you bother baptizing them? So. And then, and then Paul's protest turns personal. He says in verse 30, why are we also in danger every hour? Matter of fact, I think, Tyler, did I have you bring it up in the HCSB, the Holman Christian Standard? Uh, Yeah, I wanted to read it from the HCSB. So um, if y'all will. (laughs) So if y'all will, read that to me. Paul turns personal with this thing. He turns to his, to his own life. He says, in a nutshell, what's the point? What is the point in all of this? Why am I laying my life on the line every single day? Why did I walk away from everything that I had, the success that I had, the wealth that I had, the, 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 the notoriety that I had, the respect that I had? Why would I be tortured and beaten and thrown in, in and out of prison and attacked by mobs and run out of town and attacked by wild beasts in Ephesus? This is, as far as I know, this is the only reference to it that we have. Which, by the way, was a common practice at times in the empire to use Christians as sport in the arena. Now, how Paul survived, we have no idea. But obviously, God supernaturally delivered him. But, but the point here is, what is the point? Why have I gone through all of this? Why do you go through all of what you go through as a follower of Jesus Christ? Why do you get rejected by your family? Why do you get thrown out of places? Why do you get laughed at because you believe that God came back to life? That God even came in the first place and and died for you. Why why do you go through all of that if there's no resurrection of the dead? It's pointless. It makes no difference. See, it'll come back to the idea. Without the resurrection, ladies and gentlemen, the gospel is useless. There is no good news. Without the resurrection. And so, he says, man, what is the point in all of this? Why? You know what? Hey, hey, I'm paraphrasing. Hey, if there's no resurrection, just eat and drink. Party like a rock star. Because it don't matter. Because you're just going to die. 
Nothing matters. If there's no resurrection, it doesn't even matter. Just, just live your life. Just be consumed with this world, this stuff, with everything that's going on. Just focus and consume yourself with that if there's no resurrection. So having said that, I can, I can say that the resurrection is supposed to be what makes the difference in our lives. Can I, can I remind you of this? Lots of religious leaders have been killed for their... For, for leading a religion. As Jesus was. But none of them came back to life three days later. Amen. Except Jesus. And so, if, if this isn't true, since y'all have somehow been persuaded that the resurrection, the bodily resurrection may not actually be a, a real thing, then you might as well just live your life anyway. Just be consumed with the things of this world instead of being consumed with the things of Christ. Because it doesn't matter. Can I, can I ask you this question? Does the resurrection matter to you? In your life? Now listen, before you jump in, say amen. Which I appreciate. But let me say this. Does the resurrection impact your life? Do you find yourself, here's my question. Do you find yourself consumed with the stuff of life? With the stuff that's going on, the, all of this and that, and the worries, the un- anxiety, and the uncertainties, and I don't know about this, and what's going to happen with that, and how am I going to pay this, and, and what happens if this person gets mad at me, and, and, and how did, uh, I hate my boss, and, and, all, and all this kind of stuff. You find yourself, now I know, I'm not saying that's not real stuff, right? That's life. We're in the middle of it. But do you find yourself focused, consumed, uh, living only in that, without ever... Stopping and saying, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus came up out of the grave three days later. That's what matters. That's what, can I tell you this? Satan would wholeheartedly amen the Apostle Paul's statement right here. It's hard to believe as that is. When Paul says, if there's no resurrection, live however you want to live. Consume your life with this life and just, just eat and drink because tomorrow we die. Satan would wholeheartedly amen that. As a matter of fact, I, I, would, I, would say, I would say this. Satan wants you to live this life as if this life is all there is to life. I can assure you that's what Satan wants. For you to live your life as if this life is all there is to life. So let me stop again and ask. Is that how you live your life? I mean, really. If you got real honest, nobody's looking around. And maybe in the quietness of, of your own heart to ask that question. Man, is that how I live my life? Do I live my life really, just really focused on here and now and consumed with this and, and, and this as if this is all there is to life? That's what Satan would quite honestly desire for you to do, to keep your focus there. But the Apostle Paul is building this case for the reality of the resurrection. Because if the resurrection is true, then it changes everything. I want you to understand this. And I'll say more about this next week. It doesn't just change our eternity. It ought to change our right here and right now. Because no matter in all of the stuff that you all go through, some horrific storms, some minor annoyances, some somewhere in between all of that in, in raising kids or paying bills or finding jobs or all that stuff that life can be in, in the middle of, of all of that. The Apostle Paul said there is a resurrection from the dead. And that changes everything. That makes a difference in our lives. Paul, I want you to hear this. 
It's, it's a rhetorical question when he asks, what, what, what is the point? What, why, am I, why am I dying every day? Why am I laying my life on the line every day? Why did I go into that arena with those wild beasts? Why, why am I suffering and being persecuted? Why am I going through all of this if there is no resurrection? Paul believed in the resurrection. Paul believed in the reality of the gospel. Paul believed that in the end, the most important thing... For you and I to remember in our lives and to share with those around us. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Would you say it with me? For if you confess with your mouth, come on, say it. Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Come on. You will be saved. Why? Come on. For with the heart of person and with the mouth, that's the gospel. The reality that Christ died but refused to stay dead. The reality that Christ died but kicked death to the curb and came up out of the grave three days later. Corinthians, y'all are, y'all are doubting this. And I'm saying to you, if, if this isn't true, why do, why do you bother baptizing people when they come to Christ? Why, do you, uh, why, do, why am I giving my life for all this? Why, why, why do any of this stuff? Hey, Corinthians. Hey, Cross Culture Church. Here's why. Because it's true. It really happened. And it changes everything in our lives. New life comes from death. And better life comes from death. I don't know about you, but that sounds really good to me. Life should be lived for the glory of God, but we all know that these bodies are wearing out. What a wonderful promise that God has given to those in Christ. Our resurrected bodies will be so much better, and not just for a few short years, but for all of eternity. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.